For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject, Exposing the Kingdom of Darkness. This is part 10 of the series. Next, we're going to look at the logo of CBS, or the Columbia Broadcasting System. CBS's former legal name was the Columbia Broadcasting System. This name was first used in 1928. In 1951, CBS began to use the all-seeing eye as the company's trademark symbol. The all-seeing eye is known as the Eye of Providence. In ancient Egypt, it represented the Eye of Horus. To the Illuminati, it is a symbol for the New World Order or One World Government. So the next slide is a representation of the pyramid of the hierarchy of the New World Order. And in the next slide is the chart form of the hierarchy of the New World Order and some of its component parts. So given that Satan is the king of Babylon and the king of the kingdom of darkness and that Babylon has many facets, levels, layers, and tentacles, we are now going to look at the financial tentacle of the Babylonian system. And we're going to begin by looking at the history of modern banking. Banking in the modern sense of the word can be traced to the medieval and early Renaissance Italy, to the rich cities in the north such as Florence, Venice, and Genoa. The Bardi and Peruzzi families dominated banking in 14th century Florence, establishing branches in many other parts of Europe. Perhaps the most famous Italian bank was the Medici Bank, established by Giovanni Medici in 1397. Originally, the charging of interest known as usury was banned by Christian churches in Europe. The original banks were merchant banks, which were first invented in the Middle Ages by Italian grain merchants. As the Lombardi merchants and bankers grew in stature based on the strength of the Lombard Plains cereal crops, many displaced Jews fleeing Spanish persecution were attracted to the trade. They brought with them ancient practices from the Middle and Far East silk routes. Originally intended for the finance of long trading journeys, these methods were applied to finance the production and trading of grain. The Jews were forbidden to hold land in Italy, so they entered the great trading piazzas and halls of Lombardy alongside the local traders and set up their benches to trade in crops. 
Banking offices were usually located near centers of trade, and in the late 17th century, the largest centers for commerce were the ports of Amsterdam, London, and Hamburg. The Berenberg Bank in Italy was established in 1590. The Bank of Amsterdam was founded in 1609. The Bank of England was established in 1694, and it became the first privately owned central bank in the world. Court Jews were Jewish bankers or businessmen who lent money and handled the finances of some of the Christian European noble houses primarily in the 17th and 18th centuries. Examples of what would later be called court Jews emerged when local rulers used services of Jewish bankers for short-term loans. One of the most notable families engaged in this activity was the Rothschild family that created a banking empire that had branches all over Europe. The Rothschild family, known as the House of Rothschild, or more simply as the Rothschilds, is a European dynasty of German-Jewish origin that established European banking and finance houses starting in the late 18th century. Mayor Amschel Rothschild, who lived from 1744 to 1812, was raised in Frankfurt's Jewish ghetto. His original name was Mayor Amschel Bauer. Bauer is a German name that means peasant or farmer. He adopted the surname of Rothschild, taking that name from a sign with a red shield that hung over the door to his business establishment. He was the son of Amschel Moses Bauer, born in 1710, who was a money changer. Court Jews handled money for European royalty and nobility. During that era, Jews were legally required to live in small communities that were separate from Christians. They were also not allowed to leave their villages at night, on Sundays, or on Christian holidays. He won the patronage of Crown Prince Wilhelm of Hesse, gaining the title of Court Factor in 1769. As a pioneer of international finance, Mayer developed a finance house and spread his empire by installing each of his five sons as his agents in the five major financial centers of Europe. The eldest, Amtscher Mayer Rothschild, set up his operations in Frankfurt. Solomon Mayer Rothschild in Vienna. Nathan Mayer Rothschild in London. Coleman Mayer Rothschild in Naples. And the youngest, Jacob Mayer Rothschild in Paris. The five linked their branches and became the first banking entity to transcend national borders. Mayor Amschel Rothschild, who lived from 1744 to 1812, was famously quoted as saying, Give me control of a nation's money supply, and I care not who writes the laws. The Rothschilds were high-ranking Freemasons. In the Masonic reference book, 10,000 Famous Freemasons, Volume 4, page 74, indicates... Two other sons of Amschel were Masons, James Meyer Rothschild and his brother Nathan Meyer Rothschild. Furthermore, James Rothschild in Paris was a 33rd degree Scottish Rite Mason. Next, we're going to look at Rothschilds and a modern banking timeline. We begin in 1770 where Mayor Amschel Rothschild draws up plans for the creation of the Illuminati and entrusts Adam Weishaupt with its organization and development. Next, in 1791, the Rothschilds, through Alexander Hamilton, their agent in George Washington's cabinet, set up a central bank in the United States called the Bank of the United States. It was established with a 20-year charter. In 1811, the charter for the Rothschilds Bank of the United States ran out and Congress voted against its renewal. 
At that time, Andrew Jackson, who would become the seventh president of the United States from 1829 to 1837, said, If Congress has a right under the Constitution to issue paper money, it was given them to use by themselves, not to be delegated to individuals or corporations. Nathan Mayer Rothschild is not amused, and he stated, Either the application for renewal of the charter is granted, or the United States will find itself involved in a most disastrous war. Andrew Jackson's response to Nathan Mayer Rothschild is the following, You are a den of thieves, vipers, and I intend to rout you out, and by the eternal God I will rout you out. Nathan Mayer Rothschild's reply to Andrew Jackson's comment was, Teach those impudent Americans a lesson. Bring them back to colonial status. Then in 1812, backed by the Rothschilds' money, the British declare war on the United States. The Rothschilds' plan was to cause the United States to build up such debt in fighting this war that they would have to surrender to the Rothschilds and allow the charter for the Rothschilds' own Bank of the United States to be renewed. In 1835, President Andrew Jackson starts depositing federal funds into banks directed by Democratic bankers rather than in the Rothschilds-controlled Bank of the United States. As a result, an assassination attempt is made on President Jackson, and he would later claim that he knew the Rothschilds were responsible for that attempted assassination. Then in 1845, Andrew Jackson dies. This great American patriot leaves instruction in his will to write on his tombstone, I have killed the bank. A reference to the fact that he banished the Rothschilds' second central bank in the United States in 1836. Now, in 1861, President Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president from 1860 to his assassination in 1865, approaches the Rothschilds to try to obtain loans to support the ongoing American Civil War. The Rothschilds agree, provided Lincoln allows them a charter for another United States central bank and is prepared to pay 24 to 36 percent interest on all monies loaned. Lincoln became very angry about the Rothschilds' proposal, wanting to charge such high level of interest, so he printed his own debt-free money and informed the public that this was now legal tender for both public and private debts. By April 1862, there was nearly 4.5 million Lincolnbacks printed and distributed. Lincoln went on to say, We gave the people of this republic the greatest blessing they ever had, their own paper money to pay their own debts. Then in 1865, in an editorial in the Times of London that represented the viewpoints of the Rothschilds' banking empire, the editorial said the following, If that mischievous financial policy which had its origin in the North American Republic should ever become indurated down to a fixture, then that government will furnish its own money without cost. It will pay off debts and be without a debt. It will have all the money necessary to carry on its commerce. It will become prosperous beyond precedent in the history of civilized governments of the world. The brains and the wealth of all countries will go to North America. That government must be destroyed or it will destroy every monarchy on the globe. In 1865, in addressing Congress, President Abraham Lincoln said, I have two great enemies, the Southern Army in front of me and the financial institution in the rear. 
Of the two, the one in the rear is my greatest foe. Later that year, President Lincoln is assassinated. Then in 1881, President James Garfield said, Whoever controls the volume of money in our country is absolute master of all industry and commerce. And when you realize that the entire system is very easily controlled one way or another by a few powerful men at the top, you will not have to be told how periods of inflation and depression originate. Next, we're going to discuss the background which led to the creation of the Federal Reserve Act in 1913, which established a private central bank in the United States. The Panic of 1907, also known as the 1907 Bankers' Panic, was a financial crisis that took place in the United States over a three-week period starting in mid-October when the New York Stock Exchange fell almost 50% from its peak the previous year. Panic occurred as this was during a time of economic recession and there were numerous runs on banks and trust companies. The 1907 panic eventually spread throughout the nation when many state and local banks and businesses entered bankruptcy. Primary causes of the run included a retraction of market liquidity by a number of New York City banks and a loss of confidence among depositors. In the aftermath of the Panic of 1907, Republican Senator Nelson Aldrich, father-in-law of John D. Rockefeller Jr., put forth a plan through the National Monetary Commission to establish a central banking system that would issue currency and provide oversight and loans to the nation's banks, which led to the creation of the Federal Reserve Act of 1913. So who was Senator Nelson Aldrich? Nelson Aldrich lived from 1841 to 1915, and he was a prominent American politician and leader of the Republican Party in the United States Senate, where he served from 1881 to 1911. By the 1890s, he was one of the big four key Republicans who largely controlled the major decisions of the Senate. His daughter, Abigail, married John D. Rockefeller Jr. Her sons included Nelson Rockefeller, Winthrop Rockefeller, and banker David Rockefeller. Aldrich worked with several key bankers and economists to design a plan in 1911 for an American central bank. This work included a trip to Jekyll Island in 1910 to have a meeting which resulted in draft legislation which originally was called the Aldrich Plan which ultimately got negotiated and modified and led to the 1913 Federal Reserve Act signed by President Woodrow Wilson. The bankers and economists that Aldrich worked with included Paul Warburg, who is regarded as the father of the Federal Reserve, he himself being part of the Jekyll Island meeting in 1910, who was an agent of the Rothschilds in the United States and partner of the banking house Kuhn, Loeb and Company, and later became director of the Council on Foreign Relations from 1921 to 1932. Abram Andrew, an assistant secretary of the treasury, Frank Vanderlip, president of the Rockefeller-owned New York National City Bank, and Henry Davison of J.P. Morgan and Company were also part of the 1910 Jekyll Island Group that helped to draft legislation which ultimately became the 1913 Federal Reserve Act. Senator Nelson Aldrich was very active in Freemasonry where he first became a member in 1866. He belonged to the Royal Arch Chapter in the Calvary Commandery of Knights Templars in Providence, Rhode Island. He was treasurer of the Grand Lodge of Rhode Island. So the Panic of 1907 led 
to the Federal Reserve Act of 1913. The Federal Reserve Act was passed by the 63rd United States Congress and signed into law by President Woodrow Wilson on December the 23rd, 1913. The Federal Reserve Act created the Federal Reserve System consisting of 12 regional Federal Reserve Banks jointly responsible for managing the country's money supply, making loans and providing oversight to banks and serving as a lender of last resort. To lead the Federal Reserve System, the Act established the Federal Reserve Board of Governors, members of which are appointed by the President. The Federal Reserve Act created a national currency. With the passing of the Federal Reserve Act, Congress required that all nationally chartered banks become members of the Federal Reserve System. Regarding the significance of the passing of the Federal Reserve Act of 1913, Senator Nelson Aldrich said, Before passage of the 1913 Federal Reserve Act, the New York bankers could only dominate the monetary reserves of New York. But now we are able to dominate the bank reserves of the entire United States. On December the 22nd, 1913, on the dawn of the passing of the Federal Reserve Act, Congressman Charles Lindbergh, a Republican representative of Minnesota, said the following, When the President signs this act, the invisible government by the money power, proven to exist by the monetary trust investigation, will be legalized. The new law will create inflation whenever the trusts want inflation. From now on, depressions will be scientifically created. After Woodrow Wilson signed the Federal Reserve Act in 1913, he lamented that he did so, as he said these words in 1919, I am a most unhappy man. I have unwittingly ruined my country. A great industrial nation is now controlled by its system of credit. We are no longer a government by free opinion, no longer a government by conviction in the vote of the majority, but a government by the opinion and duress of a small group of dominant men. So the Federal Reserve Banking System functions and operates based upon the principle of fractional reserve banking. Since 1980, all depository institutions have been required to set aside reserves with the Federal Reserve. This is called fractional reserve banking. Fractional reserve banking is the most common form of banking practiced by commercial banks worldwide. It involves banks accepting deposits from customers and making loans to borrowers while holding in reserve an amount equal to only a fraction of the bank's deposit liabilities. Bank reserves are held as cash in the bank or as balances in the bank's account at the central bank. The minimum amount that banks are required to hold in liquid assets is determined by the country's central bank and is called the reserve requirement. Banks working on the expectation that only a proportion of depositors will seek to withdraw funds at the same time keep only a fraction of their liabilities as reserves. Thus, they can experience an unexpected bank run when depositors wish to withdraw more funds than the reserves held by the bank. In that event, the country's central bank may act as lender of last resort to provide banks with funds to cover the short-term shortfall. Therefore, from these things, we can see that there is a financial elite. And the financial elite have a pyramid by which they operate and conduct their business. Next, we're going to share with you a variety of quotes from different people regarding their thoughts and views on private central banks. 
The first is from Thomas Jefferson in 1802, where he says, I believe that banking institutions are more dangerous to our liberties than standing armies. If the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the banks and corporations that will grow up around the banks will deprive the people of all property until their children wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. The next quote is from the founder of the Ford Motor Company, Henry Ford. He says, It is well enough that people of the nation do not understand our banking and monetary system, for if they did, I believe that there would be a revolution before morning. The next quote comes from John Maynard Keynes. And John Maynard Keynes is a prominent economist, and he says, By this means, referring to fractional reserve banking, government may secretly and unobserved confiscate the wealth of the people, and not one man in a million will detect the theft. The next quote comes from Milton Friedman. He is another prominent economist of our generation. And he says, The Federal Reserve, the privately owned U.S. Central Bank, definitely caused the Great Depression by contracting the amount of currency in circulation by one-third from 1929 to 1933. So now in the next chart, let's see what Milton Friedman was referring to. Because in this chart, we can see the money supply from the years 1900 to 1942. And from looking at this chart, we can see that beginning from the end of 1929 to 1933, the money supply in the United States contracted. And according to Milton Friedman, it contracted by one-third. It was in the years 1932 and 1933 when we had the lowest point of the contraction of the money supply is when we had the highest rate of unemployment during the Great Depression. As one point in the Great Depression unemployment reached nearly 25%. So it was not only Milton Friedman who identified that the Federal Reserve's contracting of the money supply caused the Great Depression, but in 1932, Lewis McFadden moved to induce charges against the Federal Reserve Board, blaming them for causing the crash and fueling the Depression because they contracted the money supply. So, Lewis McFadden said the following, The Great Depression was not accidental. It was a carefully contrived occurrence worked out just as one works out a mathematical equation. The international bankers sought to bring about a condition of despair so that they might emerge as the rulers of us all. U.S. President John F. Kennedy wanted to eliminate the Federal Reserve. On June the 4th, 1963, President Kennedy signed Executive Order 11,110, whose intent was to return to the U.S. government the power to issue currency without going through the Rothschilds Federal Reserve. As a result, on November the 22nd, 1963, Kennedy was assassinated. So next, I'm going to share with you a quote from Georgetown professor Dr. Carol Quigley from his book, Tragedy and Hope, in Chapter 20. Dr. Quigley was a mentor of U.S. President Bill Clinton. He says, The powers of financial capitalism to create a world system of financial control in private hands 
able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy of the world, controlled by the central banks of the world, acting in concert by secret agreements, arrived at in frequent private meetings and conferences. So let's summarize what we've covered in this section of our teaching. Number one, Adam Weishoff founded the secret society known as the Illuminati on May 1st, 1776 in Bavaria, Germany. Number two, Bohemian Grove is a private men's club located in California who are members of the global elite. Their symbol is the owl. Number three, Lilith is interpreted in the Bible as an owl who is a demon goddess. Number four, in 1785, the Bavarian Illuminati started a branch in the United States. Its lodge was called Columbia. Number five, with the birth of the United States, the goddess Columbia became the female personification and symbol of the United States. Number six, the movie studio Columbia Pictures. Well, that's going to conclude part 10 of the series on the subject, Exposing the Kingdom of Darkness. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.